Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and today I'm joined by Lois Boxer. Lois, how are you today? I'm doing well, Brian. Good to see you. Yeah, good. Yeah, good to see you, yeah. And so you're in Vancouver, is that right? That's correct. Been here yeah. since 2008. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, one of my favorite cities in the world. Yeah, it's pretty hard to beat. <laughs> uh, when, when I went and got my master's degree, the 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 uh, University of Alberta and UBC were the two that I was selecting from. And I decided that Edmonton being dark and cold would be much more conducive to studying where Vancouver has every Vancouver has everything. They have parks and skiing and surfing and oh yeah, everything you can imagine and everything you could imagine to take yourself away from studies so, so i chose to go to the u of a that's an interesting interesting because i actually did the complete opposite um i uh, so i i got my undergrad and graduate uh degrees so civil and then geotech uh at georgia tech and then basically at the end of my bachelor's degree university of illinois had offered me a scholarship but they invited me to come up to urbana champaign in november and <laughs> i took one look at that and went this is too cold <laughs> So promptly accepted the offer from Georgia Tech to continue. So I did the complete opposite of you. But the truth is, I also come from the, the West Indies. So for me, cold was a big factor at that point in time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I should imagine. I should imagine. Yeah. I actually just uh, interviewed Jorge Macedo. Oh, yes. He's okay. on the teaching staff there. And he's he's just taking over the institute testing uh, course from Paul Main, who you yes. must have of course. learned from. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, Lois, t- tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your education. I know we kind of touched on it, but fill in the blanks. For sure, for sure. Well, I'll give the Cliff Notes version. So uh, <laughs> basically, my my one of my mother's older brothers was a geotechnical engineer. And back in, I think it was 1999, so the channel was under construction, and he happened to be working on the turnaround at the in Folkestone. And so he took me up to this lookout point where I could actually see all the work that was going on. And pretty much I decided then and there I was going to be a geotech engineer. <laughs> wow. wow, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it just blew my mind. And um, and so basically was also looking, you know, coming from Barbados, was looking for a place that had because civil struck me from a very early age as, you know, we're not glamorous, but without us communities, societies don't work. And so that definitely, um, again, intrigued me. And I think part of it, you know, it's not looking back on it clearly had to be innate because, you know, at at 10, 11 years old, what do I know about anything except that this is, I had this response, right? So um, that's what led me to Georgia Tech because they had a, a very good, very strong civil program. 
um, and as I just mentioned, um, decided to stay at Georgia Tech uh, because I didn't want to deal with the cold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah nice, nice warm weather there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I'm a bit of, so this is where things get a little bit unusual for me as a geotech. So when I was um, finishing my last year, my undergraduate, I had an opportunity to do a discernment program with the Diocese of Atlanta. So that's the Episcopal Church for folks in the U.S. And, um, and so I went through this process kind of just because I was invited and I was clueless, right? Like I didn't know what discernment was. And I asked a, a mentor of mine, well, what is discernment? He said, well, discernment just helps you figure out, you know, ask yourself questions about, you know, you. And I thought, ah, nothing could hurt. Well, the problem yeah. was at the end of the year, um, there was a recommendation for me to go to seminary. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was not expecting that. So all of a yeah. sudden, I had a decision to make. So this is actually part of why I decided to stay at Georgia Tech, because I basically needed to do a master's degree in one year. I had committed to myself. So prior to this discernment thing, I had committed to myself that I wanted to do a master's degree. And then all of a sudden comes this invitation to go to seminary, and I had to respond within a year. So mm. I, need to do a, I need to basically do an express master's. So that's yeah. what I did. And, uh, but while at Georgia Tech, I, you know, again, I was just feeling, feeding my curiosity and interest. Earthquakes really captivated me. And so for my master's work, uh, basically did a project looking at foundation remediation um, for facilities in the New Madrid seismic zone. And mm -hmm. what was interesting about that is that, you know, a lot of people don't realize, but one of the largest historical earthquakes in the US happened right along um, the Memphis River Valley, basically. And so there are a lot of places east of that that people don't think of as in a seismic zone and so they aren't constructed that way so it was this whole yeah. remediation of they called essential facilities for schools hospitals police stations fire stations like how do you keep these things so that was basically my master's research was grounded remediation um and then um, again, contrary to what most people would have expected, uh, and actually to the chagrin of many of my colleagues who knew what I was, you know, even at graduate school, I went to seminary for three years in New York. Uh -huh. um, but I didn't last long. I mean, I, I finished seminary, but it didn't last long staying away from engineering. So my first summer um, that I was free, which would be my at the end of my uh, second year, um, I, I was like, look, I, I need to be around, I need to be around engineers. And yeah, so I basically yeah. cold called, I looked in the back of the ASC magazine and cold called Parsons Brinkerhoff and said, look, I'm a, I'm a civil engineer and um, looking to get some experience and exposure. Got a phone call back from a guy named Ray Castelli, um, who is now retired. But Ray was a geotech in the tunneling group at, at Parsons. And oh. I went in, interviewed, and got a, an offer on the spot for an assistant geotechnical engineer. And I got to work as my first project on the MTA Eastside Access Tunnel. So I was oh. doing mapping for that. And so spent yeah. a lot of time underground <laughs> beneath Grand Central. So that was fun. Yeah. It was a lot yeah. of fun. Um, and so great, great way to also, you know, enhance my time in New York. So I knew above ground New York and I knew below ground New York. Um, so I actually continued. So while I was in seminary, continued to, to, to work. So I, 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 I worked part time and did some, well, actually, yeah, well, mostly, I don't remember, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a part time sort of thing. So I was able to, you know, basically go to classes and do the studying I needed, but could work the other time. So did that, um, spent, uh, after there did a, did a, uh, a priest assignment in uh uh what's it called it's 
it's the it's it's just outside of Philadelphia. I want to say Georgetown, but it's that's, that's not the right term. But hmm. there's a little, little town, just Germantown. That's it right there. Oh uh, yeah, okay. uh, where yeah. the where the Winter um, White House used to be. Um, and so yeah, right in that historic little city, spent about a year there, and then went west to Denver. And so this is kind of where my my real story and foray into I would say major civil started. Um, and the whole reason for that was when I went to Denver, there was no, there was no, there were not any opportunities in churches because Denver is a, a, you know, smaller, smaller population, lots of, um, basically everything had been assigned and, and there was nothing there for, for me. So I basically oh. turned back to, turned back to civil engineering. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, so on offer for URS, it was URS at the time and, uh, applied joined their dams group which was basically the old woody woody clyde group and yeah. the rest is kind of history because um i started off working with people like john france um on the on the dam side you know the the water dam side and then things got slow <clears throat> and so i i was one of those people who um would go around the office and kind of say do you got anything <laughs> and then i ran into <laughs> a guy named i'm sure you've run into him before chris hatton and, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and that was kind of how I got into tailings and oh, okay. never looked back. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah. And, and I've been in, I've been in tailings pretty much ever since. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. 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 That's an interesting uh, backstory. You, you mentioned the tunneling in New York. I read a book of a work of fiction and I can't remember what it was called, but it was about tunneling in the New York area. Mm-hmm. And the, the people that worked in the tunnels are called sand hogs. Yes. Did you? Yeah. There's a, there's a, well, they also call them moles. They call them mole people as well. Yeah. There's all yeah. sorts of names and terms. And, and actually, we did run across a couple. Like, they're, basically, they're people who live underground. And um, yeah. there are a lot, of, a lot of people don't realize, but there's a lot of abandoned subway underground. There's a lot of infrastructure down there. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yep. You could so, literally live in a abandoned underground opening huh. and it's warm, and it's warm so you know yeah. it, it's it's especially for people who are are homeless or choose to be homeless um they uh yeah down underground is warm so yeah yeah do you, do you have any idea of recollection what year you would have gotten together with uh chris hatton oh that would have been 2004 oh okay okay yes. yeah yeah so you've been working mostly in mining since then yes Primarily, okay. almost exclusive. Well, except for the well, actually, it's all been mining, but different aspects of mining. So up until uh, 2017, pretty much followed the traditional uh, consulting geotechnical engineering route. You know, cut my teeth as a staff engineer doing design analysis. You know, you name it: field field studies, site investigations. And then, as I got more senior, got into actually got into closure. Which actually was, I would say, in many ways, returned me back to the whole civil side because enclosure, um, you have to, you have to think about everything, and and that was actually, uh, I would say, thanks to the team at SRK, which is where I really, I would say, developed into a more, uh, I would say, owners engineer type of thinker, right? And comprehensively, yep. how do you how do you put teams together, uh, and uh, that was wonderful because there it was really about you know people who were expert at their thing. And you brought the best team together and got out of the way, right? And and really just kind of stewarded um, the vision. So you knew where we were headed, made sure everybody knew why we were doing what we were doing, and then pulled it all together. So I would say, you know, that the the five the no sorry, I was at uh, SRK until 
2017. So 2008 to 2017. So just under nine years. And yeah. um, I would say that's really where I kind of, I started to fill out my own shoes. I started to, you know, not, not, not cocky or overconfident, but realize, you know what, I, I like this stuff. And for me, and I think We'll probably talk a little bit more about this, but the people side of engineering really started to show up, especially when you started to look at like closure, closure workshops and things like this. It was always, well, there were communities that we were impacting, right? So it wasn't ever um, engineering in abstract. It was, well, there is an impact. And if we don't do, if we don't do what we say we're going to do, or if we don't understand why we're doing what we're doing, um, that could be really bad for people. So mm-hmm. yeah, and that, I would say that was where that, this whole kind of what I'm doing right now, there was this glimpse into this world about this interface between communities and what we did as engineers. Yeah. 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 You know, a lot of times people think of closure is just returning the land back to a similar status to what it had before, Mm -hmm. whether it's a area for wildlife to habitate or whatever, but, you know, to me, I, it's okay to, think way outside of that box and say, well, what if we want a solar farm here instead? Mm-hmm. You know, it could be something that's really a polar opposite of bringing it, turning it back to nature. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think part of it is also, I think we, we think too small, quite frankly. Right. And I think this is yeah. where, you know, like, uh, and it's something, you know, a lot of my language uh, has been and the way I see things has actually been influenced by, I would say, well, a couple of things. One, living here in BC, it's very hard not to pay attention to First Nations voices and the influence, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. the whole worldview, right? And, and, and the view of the land as, as this as this entity that is living and to which we have responsibility. So it's very different from, I would say, a Western colonized view of land as this thing that we take and we possess and we do whatever. And, and the thing about closure in many ways, and actually before we, we think about closure, even mine, mine permitting and whatnot, is that it becomes like this little postage stamp that is kind of cut out of this massive larger scale of things right and so you know the mine lease yes it has these very rigid boundaries but ecosystems don't <laughs> you know they, they mm. can be way way larger and so I think it does come up you know if, if if we think about that even from the beginning it actually helps us in closure because we remember that we're not returning this little postage stamp to something it's this postage stamp has fits within you know you can look at it ecologically but there's also sociologically biologically there's all these other things and if we thought a little bit bigger maybe then we have some more think ideas that we come up with right and and you say well where does this postage stamp fit in this larger context and what are the larger contexts so yeah it's kind of expanding our view i think it helps us come up with better ideas you know, that's really interesting because when a mine is being developed, there's a lot of trade-off studies and, and alternatives analyses for, for each of the facilities, whether it's a tailings facility, mm-hmm. you might have 20 different sites that you're looking for, and then come closure, like, like you say, sometimes we're laser focused on doing one thing instead of doing a whole bunch of trade-off studies and alternatives right. analyses. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Yeah, well, you know, one of the, one of the things, Brian, I've realized is actually, you know, our maps actually. So depending on how big your map is, <laughs> really <laughs> yeah. impacts how you think, right? So if you, yeah. draw, you know, as as you know, as design engineers, you know, we we usually will have a snapshot, and in many ways, as engineers, we limit our thinking to that snapshot. Like it becomes the you know it becomes these become 
for lack of a better term, solid boundaries where they really aren't, right? And, and so mm. when one of the things that um, in some other work that I'm doing right now, I say, let's just get a bigger map, you know, just a oh, bigger yeah. Yeah. So that so that we actually understand, right? We're, we're we're forced to consider context as opposed to the you know the little uh, title block that kind of limits what we see as, as context. So it's it's an interesting thing. I mean, I know we're not we're not none of us are bad people. It's just a human thing, right? That's what we right. do. So no, well, yeah. yeah, and especially for engineers, I think engineers are especially good at being focused on the present topic and, and right. that would be that small map that you absolutely, have absolutely yeah so lois are you on your own now as an independent or were you yes employed? Yeah. okay yeah. well yes yes i've 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 uh, i've decided to to dare to uh uh, as I say, dare go boldly, and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and part of it is is it's um and actually really I, it's about leveraging everything that has come together for me and recognizing that I, I've never fit into boxes easily. Um, yeah. One of the things that I'm actually looking at, so of course, um, you know, with a background in closure, um, that is a focus, and and actually trying the the thing that I'm interested in actually now with closure is the interfaces. So I would say one of the things that um, and people who have worked with me know this, communication really matters to me. And, and so what I'm seeing now at, you know, 18 plus years in industry is that there sometimes, so we all speak English in, in this part of the world, but we speak past each other depending on, our, on mm. where we come from. So yeah. especially yeah. in closure, what I'm finding is that there sometimes is conflict where there doesn't need to be conflict just because of worldviews that are clashing. So I'll give you an example. Uh, um, you've got First Nations who speak in terms of generations and speak in terms of um, responsibility and all these other very holistic sort of um, what ironically uh, people in this part of the world who are European would think of as Eastern, but they're actually Indigenous. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then you have us as engineers who speak, we speak in acronyms, we speak in terms of logic, we speak in terms of like, it's gotta be finite, like we have to understand, we have to know. And so there is this actually um, tension that can be created because we are also very expedient in time. We, you know, everything, you know, everything has to be done, their schedules yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. And dealing with people who are just basically, we, we think in terms of generations. Well, there is a conflict. So part of what I've seen as an opportunity is actually to recognize that actually, if we can translate what we're saying, we realize we're actually on the same team, right? And how do we not uh, a priori set up for a fight when there doesn't need to be one, right? Because the truth is, is that I would say, I would argue that uh, we as engineers have a heck of a lot to learn about the, these larger, bigger picture, especially when we're talking about, um, well, you know, when we talk about closure now in say in BC, we talk about a hundred years and indigenous communities speak in terms of thousands of years and millennia. So when it comes to who has the better handle on thinking in terms beyond a hundred years and what that looks like, Indigenous communities actually do. And so part of it is really to say, you know what, how about instead of thinking, yeah, no, no, there's going to be a conflict and we will just name that up front. We go, huh, this is an opportunity to actually learn and, mm -hmm. and dare to believe that it is possible to actually reconcile these things that we think are different. And so that's the interface that I'm really keen on. So Yeah, that, that's great. And I'm going to repeat a story that I, I said just before we started recording. And this all reminds me of that. I was working on a project in Colombia, 
where the local population said, hey, you know, we've been mining this mountain for 500 years. This mining company will come in and mine it out in 20 years. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have great jobs for 20 years. But what about the next 500 years? And, and I think that's the same thing that you're saying is that, you know, there, there has to be, we talk about sustainable development, but sometimes you, you put a, a fork into something and say, no, this is done. And it's not always the right way to do it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I you know, I, I struggle also with the term because I'm not sure you know, it's one of those things where the term, you know, you use a term frequently enough. You come to start going, well, what exactly are we saying? What exactly yeah. do we mean? You know, and, and so I, I think we're, and I, you know, part of what you're seeing in my, my LinkedIn profile right now is an awareness. I feel like we're at, like, I feel extremely privileged to be alive right now. And what I mean by that is I think the stakes have never been higher for what we do. Um, and it's not just us, obviously, but, you know, here we are, you know, in this part of the world and our, you know, this, the whole, I would say the luxury of thinking about um, climate impacts as this maybe an abstract idea we're all being forced to kind of deal with those realities, you know, and, and it's, so things are seen as, you know, they're, they're not abstract anymore, you know, and we've all yeah. been shut down for two years. So in, in many ways have been these huge shifts in how we might think about ourselves and our place and our role in our planet. And so to be part of that, you know, um, the ability to kind of say, well, actually, how do we go forward in, in the best way possible? Um, that is, that is the piece where I go, yes, yeah, it's, it's probably going to be challenging, but what is our alternative, right? I mean, we can continue to do things the way we have been, but, you know, based on where we are, we go, there may, might there be better ways to do that, that sort of engagement. So that's, that's part of why I, I'm daring to, to, to try to pursue this and, and recognize that, you know, there need not be, in fact, I would rather not be at in, at tension inherently with with the people who I've always thought of as long-term custodians of the land, right? Like they, yeah, they're gonna be here long after I've stopped being an engineer, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to read the tagline that you have on LinkedIn because I think it, it, it says a lot. It says, you're working with people to develop and implement bottom-up solutions that benefit local ecologies and at least the next seven generations that rely on them. And I, I'm guessing you just picked seven generations out of thin air and, and obviously at least the next seven generations. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a, a good way to think about it is the project doesn't come to an end when the last uh, truck of ore leaves the pit, that there's gonna be something going on there forever. Yeah, and actually, I, I'll tell you, Brian, that seven generations, it didn't come out of the air. It actually came from uh, learnings from several Indigenous communities that that's actually how they think. When they're uh, considering yeah. when they're considering projects or actions or decisions, they, they have this inherent, they see it as an inherent responsibility to think not just now, but what is the implication for seven generations? So that's where that comes from. Yeah, that and seven generations is a long time because I can't trace back my ancestry for seven generations. Yep. And so that yeah, so if you think about that into the future, that's a that's a good long time. Yep. 
So, so Lois, uh, since you started out on your own, how's how's business? How's it going? How do you like it? <laughs> are you are you still having fun? Oh, it's it's. Uh, let's put it this way: I've got this um, this uh, pit in my stomach that's about excitement and dread all at once. Uh, <laughs> but but I I've come to know it as as a very good sign. It means that I'm doing something I've never done before, and it means I've got a lot to learn. And and that for me is um, it's actually where I where I need to be and where I want to be. So you know, as uh, of course, when you're building a business, it you know it takes some time and, and whatnot. I actually have to. It's the first time in my life I don't have a regularly delivered paycheck every two weeks. You know, and that's that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. but 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 it also it also um, forces me to kind of um, take seriously a lot of the things that I've said, you know, that, that sounds interesting, you know, like, okay, so I've, I've, I've contributed to with other teams and whatnot. Of course, I'll continue to work with others. Um, but it's also kind of going, you know, Lois, this is something that you're wanting to do. And um, in many ways right now, taking a job with any, any and uh, there, there's all sorts of opportunities, I feel like I, I basically am, would be taking the easier, easy route out, you know, and also not yeah. honoring, not honoring the questions and um, shall we say contributions that I would like to make. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but I, but I am daring to bet on myself at this point and, and go that um, a couple of things. One is I, 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 I love people. I love communities and I love, you know, I, and I also think we do very important work and, um, the, the philosophy, if you will, that I'm approaching all of the engagements with is value. So if I can bring value to a project um, and make things better, let's talk. And if I can't, no worries. I'll just find find the other thing. But right now, it really, I, I see time as very precious. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And, and so really, it's, you know, when I talked, when we before we started recording, we talked about keeping it punchy, everything. <laughs> well, no, it's like, well, why why waste time trying to get to the point, get to the point, tell people, you know, is there something, um, is there something here to be looked at or is there nothing here and just get on with it. But what is the point, get to the point and basically don't bury the lead because I think a lot of what we do in engineering sometimes, you know, I remember one person I used to work with, you know, he said, oh, if I don't see an inch of paper going out the door, you know, we're not doing our job. And it's like, well, who reads an inch of paper these days? Yeah. You know, yeah. and so it really is, um, you know, we can talk about social media all, all day long, but the truth is, is that the 120 characters, and I'm not saying we should reduce engineering to 120 characters, but what I am saying is we shouldn't bury the point. So whether it's risk, whether it's impact, get to the point and then let's figure out what we do about it um instead of talking around things to make things look like we're busy and we're we still actually haven't got to the point you know one of the things i used to say one of the things i loved actually was um, mentoring young engineers and i would say to them if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing you should probably not be doing it right because, yeah a very good point yeah yeah you know it's it's why and also not just why but why it matters like who does it matter to and then and in fact i guess this is part of how i got through certain some of the you know as with all jobs or there are parts of it that can be more tedious but i would always especially on the closure front i would always say and who is impacted by me not doing a good job on this and i would always find the energy to do the best i could because i remembered every time i remind reminded myself that there were real people real communities real ecosystems impacted by me doing this cost estimate then mm, yeah. worth doing the cost estimate right so right yeah yeah very good very good point and 
everybody wants to know that their job matters, but they don't necessarily get told why it matters. So that's that's a really good point, and that's something that I've tried to do uh, through my career. And it was a lesson that I had given to me early in my career too. Lois, we've covered a lot of stuff today. Is there any questions that I should have asked you that I haven't? <laughs> questions you should have asked me. Well, it, well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, and I, you know, I, 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 I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with, you know, some fellow practitioners, you know, a bit ahead of me here, and and to talk about these things that I think matter. Um, should have asked me, not really. Um, no, I, 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 you know. <laughs> I, I'm not saying I'm an open book, but I am saying that at this point in my life, I think that's part of why I've worked so hard on trying to get my, uh, at least update what I'm thinking about how I'd like to contribute on, on LinkedIn, because it's like, no, that's, that's where I'm at right now. And, and it is about people. It is about teams and it's about impact. And that's, that's definitely synthesizes, I guess, where I am right now on my journey. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, it's been a really a Pleasure speaking with you, Lois, and getting to to know you and and sharing sharing a little bit of our day together. And uh, but before I let you go, I know you're you're busy. Um, is there any key takeaways or pearls of wisdom you want to lay on us? Um, oh, I think the the simplest thing is that what we do matters, um, and and it has an impact. And so the impact can be positive or negative, yeah, or neutral, yeah. but to, 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 it's not trivial, let's put it that way. So to be dismissive or to think, well, this is just uh, whatever, fill in the blank, um, is I think exactly the wrong attitude to have right now, because I think right now we are living um, with the consequences of all sorts of things that have been done. And, you know, um, I've, I've, uh, Actually, one of the things that I'm intentionally also working working on is to give myself time to do some writing because that's actually what I want to do and um, or do more of and to communicate some of these, uh, shall we say, the integration or intersections of some ideas. Um, and it's just to recognize that our energy, the things that we do every single day, it, it has an impact. It may take 20 years for that impact to be seen, but the point is, is that if we aren't critical of what we're doing today, um, we, we can find ourselves in a situation where we look back and go, geez, what, what have I done? You know? And, yeah, yeah. and so I guess my goal at this point in my life is to not live with any sort of regrets and to kind of really ethically. And, and this is the piece I wish, I guess, um, it really stuck with me when I went through tech. And it's one of the things I valued most about that program is the focus on ethics. And I would love to see mm. you return to that discussion about, of course, we can do all these things and we get paid well to do these things, but, but should we? <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, questioning, questioning, and well, first of all, realizing that what we do makes a difference for good, bad, or, or neutral. Um, and uh, should we? We can, but should we? So. Yeah, yeah very good, very good. Yeah, that's, uh, I'll take notes while you're saying that. <laughs> okay. All right, Brian. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank, thank you. And uh, yeah. I'll let you get back to your busy day. But uh, thanks again for sharing some time with us. Okay, likewise. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rocking. <laughs>